Keeneland is back, folks, and I am so excited to be making my journey there this weekend. We've got contest action, which is always so much fun. You're going to want to get involved in the contest action that Keeneland has going on. Jim Goodman, the man to reach out to, to sign up and get involved. You can also find all the info on Keeneland.com. You can play online. You can play in person. It's not too late to sign up for the Keeneland contest this weekend. Uh, the, there's a bigger one and a, and a lower money one as well. Once again, you can find all of that info over at Keeneland.com. Horseshoe Indianapolis listened to its supporters and removed the straight fire six jackpot from the wagering menu and replaced it with a second pick five. Both wagers are separate pools and have separate carryovers. Here's the really good news. Industry low takeout of 11.99%. The pick fours over there are very popular. Low takeout of 15%. Also, mark this date on your calendar, NHC players. Horseshoe Indianapolis hosting a contest December 2nd where the top four will advance to the NHC finals at Horseshoe in Las Vegas on March 15th through 17th. 2024. We're going to have full rules and details on that soon. Maybe we'll even do a segment on the show. Any excuse to get Rachel back on these airwaves? Anyway, for much more, check out the website for Horseshoe Indianapolis. Hello and welcome to the In The Money Players Podcast. This is our show for Tuesday, October 10th. I'm your host, Peter Thomas Fornital, back with you in the Brooklyn Bunker. Once again, joined by not one, but two guests to look back at this last major weekend of the Breeders' Cup prep races in North America, in and across North America, and to uh, chat about them with me. Uh, two of the, the the pillars of the show, really, to, to steal a phrase from uh, my friend Gil Alexander. We'll start with the man who's the co-founder of the In The Money Media Network. Uh, he's coming to us from his car. He has no Uber passengers. He's Jonathan Kinchin. What's up, JK? Well, technically, I, I do have some passengers. Um, I'm not being paid, but but I do have uh, my lovely wife and my four-legged friend, Rigatoni. So, uh, Hi, guys. Well, I got I got AirPods in, but I, I will tell him that you said hello. <laughs> Excellent, good stuff. And we also have uh, coming to us uh, another person coming to us from the planet Texas, uh, always on the air here with us. You read his work at InTheMoneyPodcast.com. You hear him behind the mic at Sam Houston. You send strange comments about the, the lines he makes at Keeneland. He's Nick Tamro. Nick, what's going on? I'm doing great, my friend. And just a reminder, if you've got something nasty to say, at NTAM1215, that's all you got to do. I'm happy to discuss anything with anybody. So if you've got something to say, don't hide. And there's a, a person who gave himself a nickname that includes the name of the racetrack that the lines are for that violated this. And so he's uh, he's on my list now. <laughs> you, that's not a list. That's not a list you want to you you want to be on, folks. Let me let, let me tell you right now. Stay off. Oh my god! You know what, what I say to people all the time. In fact, Nick, what you should do is you should create a Excel document that just has one word at the top that says "Make your own line." And anytime someone says something stupid, just send them that Excel document and say, "Let me <laughs> what's, what's your line." Yeah, I like it. I like it. That's that's definitely. That's definitely the best approach because uh, that's going to get them. It's going to get them a little stuck more often than not. 
Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. It's 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 thank. We talk about it all the time. It's it's uh, incredibly thankless work. Unless, though, I mean, it is true that other people who make lines might say to you, "Oh, what a good job on that line." The thing you never hear among the general racing fan is, "Oh man, what a great morning line that was." Right. It's like managing a grocery store, right? When you you walk up to somebody to the manager of a grocery store, they know you're going to complain. <laughs> and and so you no, nobody ever goes up and says, "Boy, what a great experience I had in the cold cut department today." You know, it's 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 just one of those things. So you know the only the only feedback you're going to get is negative. And I mean, to put it bluntly, until I get negative feedback from Gatewood Bell, I'm good. <laughs> Gate was probably listening right now. He's uh he's a fan of these uh the, these shows. So hi Gatewood, if you're listening out there, that's very very fun. All right, let's get to these races, guys, after that little unscheduled departure. Uh, we'll start with Sunday, and we'll work our way backwards. We had uh, grade one action uh, north of the border. Let's start there, because a horse that we've talked about a lot on these airwaves um, really uh, ran a huge race. I mean, two to five, he was supposed to uh, run well, but uh, 104 buyer speed figure for Nation's Pride in the Canadian International Nick, do you think uh, he's worth shortlisting at this point for a race like the Breeders' Cup Turf? You know, call me a little bit of a skeptic, which I think will be a common theme amongst a number of, of these conversations. But haven't haven't these Charlie Appleby horses been just a little bit better north of the border than they've been anywhere else? I know they can be treated with Lasix up there, but I mean, not just him. Some of the two-year-olds in recent years – Walton Street comes to mind, even Master of the Seas, who who we'll talk about in a little bit, who ran fine in the Coolmore Turf Mile, but he didn't run like he did at Woodbine. And, you know, I guess the surprising thing about how well Nation's Pride ran is that Royal Champion seemed to have run just as well. And, and he's a horse that had definitely been a solid, you know, group three type of animal. He beat Bolshoi Ballet back in, in June at Ascot. And, of course, Bolshoi Ballet came over here and won the Sword Dancer. Um, he was also treated with Lasix for the first time as well. So, you know, to answer your question, it was a good, solid performance. And the turf... The turf field took a uh, a real nosedive last week when Westover was was retired, and uh, there were a couple of other horses in terms of European participation that uh, that are now not going to go. So it might not be quite as tough, and and that might really bolster Nation's Pride's chances. He's a horse that's also very familiar to a lot of people over here. He was favored in last year's Breeders' Cup Turf, and then he went kind of. Uh, slightly similar route to the way Rebels Romance got to the U.S. last year or got to North America with that win in Germany. So, yeah, to answer your question, I mean, he now looks like one of the one of the two or three favorites in the turf for sure. But coming off of the world's easiest trip at uh, at, at, at a short price, uh, maybe not one we're cutting in line to bet. Is that what I'm that's what I'm hearing from Nick J.K.? How do you feel about Nations Pride moving forward? I mean, I think all of these horses, you know, these these Charlie Appleby types, these Europeans, and they come over for the turf. You got to take a hard look at them, just because. And you know, I think in that division, that's one place I still think they have a little bit of an edge from the stamina standpoint. Um, and I think that, like earlier in the year, having these conversations, you can be a little bit more objective of like trying to understand what the race meant and what happened within the race. But like everything that I look at at this time of the year, I look at it through the lens of like who am I going to be using in the Breeders' Cup, and it, 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 and not to just kind of pass over Nation's Pride. Surely, Nation's Pride is the type of horse that you use defensively because of his body of work that you that you try not to get cute and beat because he hasn't given you a lot of reasons to do so. 
But, man, I'm so excited about an American horse this year for the turf that it kind of clouds my vision of, uh, of, of Nation's Pride. Interesting, interesting. Well, should we get to that right away? Which American horses that you're so excited about? Well, I mean, yeah, if you want to go north of the border and, and, and talk about some of the stuff we saw at Keeneland, we can transition to the Coolmore Mile now if you want. Oh, okay. So you're talking about a horse for the uh, for, for the for the mile as opposed to the turf. No, no, no. They they announced that up to the mark is going to run in the mile and a half turf. Oh, I didn't know that. All right, let's wait. Let's pause and we'll get there because I do think we should at least mention Fevrover. And obviously we got to talk big invasion too while we're doing the north of the border stuff. But Fevrover, a horse that we've talked about a ton. Uh, Drew Cotney, I know, is a huge fan. Uh, ran one of her very good races. This was one that came over. They, they paid a big price for um, before. When was that? Middle of last year, and has just had a very uh, rock solid North American campaign. But th- this was a terrific race, easily dispatching the likes of With the Moonlight and Moira. The ninety-nine buyer speed figure that's going to probably need to be improved to uh, to compete in a race like the Philly and Mare Turf. But you know, she certainly. A cool mayor who who deserves uh, some mentioning here. Am I underrating her, Nick, to say I, I don't really think she's going to be uh, able to hang with the, the horses we're going to see in the Philly and Mare turf? Well, I mean, based on what we're talking about right now, I mean, we're we're considering uh, Inspiral running in the Philly and Mare turf, and uh, the domestic contingent is not particularly robust. But yeah, I mean, it, it looks like it's going to be a pretty a pretty salty bunch at least of Euros. And the problem with Fevrover's form is that when you pick it apart, now two of her three best races have come on yielding turf in Canada with Lasix. So yeah. those are just, you know, are we getting the Fevrover that we got in the Diana and the Beverly D? Because, I mean, all things considered, she ran third in the Beverly D, in the uh, Diana and ran very well. So um, she just seems like she's a little bit better horse in Canada, um, which, you know, let's not kid ourselves, that's true of most Mark Cassie trainees. But this was a compelling performance. I mean, she ran very well. Um, she's a horse who's clearly gotten better as time has gone by. She ran a good fourth in this race last year. Uh, she's not going to get turf with any kind of given it at Santa Anita, but I don't know if that's a huge concern because she did run well on firm turf, uh, both Colonial and Saratoga. So I don't think you're, I guess to answer your question, I don't think you're selling her too short, but I also don't think that she's an auto toss, if that makes sense. No, and I and I would actually agree with that. Obviously, we got to see who turns up. But looking at who I think is going to come from Europe, I think she's going to have a little bit to little bit to find. One of Moira in this race, Nick. I I thought maybe she had tapped into a new level of ability based on the huge run last time. She she seemed to regress. Do you think it was circumstantial to the race, or it was just everything perfect last time? How, how do you describe the the somewhat disappointing run? I mean, for a filly who's generally been in and out of form pretty rapidly, it wasn't surprising that she took a, a step back because, I mean, the Canadian did kind of stick out as a race that really made no sense as far as how well she ran from a speed figure perspective. I mean, it got her back to, <clears throat> excuse me, to some of her better races as a three-year-old. Um, I don't know if maybe the, the little bit of give in the ground kind of hurt her. It, it's pretty obvious to me that this was a course with some some pretty significant cut in the ground because you just had a lot of horses totally underperform. And that really only happens to me when you're dealing with, uh, with a situation like that. It really showed itself more in the Canadian International than it did in the EP Taylor. But yeah, you know, she's just a good, solid horse. And I, and I guess if she if they want to advance forward and try her in the breeders cup again they certainly could i don't think it would be a, a ridiculous decision but uh, she would be an outsider from a betting perspective 
Oh, that's for sure. I was hoping for her to back up that effort, and then I think she might be going there with a chance. Uh, let's talk about Big Invasion, JK. You can always go back. If you have stuff to add on the on the Phillies race there, you can piggyback it on. But I know we're going to want to talk uh, Big Invasion, who gets the 98 buyer speed figure. And and this is a horse that, that you and I have talked about quite a bit as, as a potential player for a race like the, the Breeders' Cup turf sprint. Um, he only wins by a head here. Um, he wasn't bet as quite as hard as I thought he might be. He's 960. And uh, the figure comes back solid, but not exactly the stuff that has, has the, the, the non-previously committed person saying uh, Breeders' Cup turf sprint, 98 fire speed figure. Were you impressed with what you saw from Big Invasion? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm also, I mean, I mean I, he's kind of a pet of mine. I, I, I feel like in this three-year-old year, he was arguably one of the best turf sprinters around, and he does it with a style that you two know more than anyone that I hate when it comes to turf sprinting, right? Like, I, I want a horse that's going to be forward. I want a, a horse that's going to find the front end. Those are the types of horses that, that I think do well. But I will say this about Big Invasion. You know, he's got an unbelievable turn of foot, and I think that the Breeders' Cup is going to really hit him right between the eyes for a number of reasons. One, he's going to be getting firm ground for the, for the first time in a while, which I think he'll appreciate. Um, and not only that, is he not going to just get firm ground? He's going to get a shorter distance to close into. I just drove by a huge truck in Texas. Where else would that happen? Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think that, that, you know, Nick, I think, is, is someone who's kind of brought this to my attention, I think, earlier than most, is that this idea that big late-running closers want more ground is, is false in a lot of situations. And I think what happens is, is when you give them shorter distances, their run is only more impactful. And the other thing with the shorter distances is those paces are usually faster. So you look at the five furlong turf sprint uh, for Breeders' Cup. It's going to be shorter. It's going to be faster. It's going to be firmer. And I think he's going to absolutely love it. And then we'll see what happens with Caravel. She, she's entered this week, right? Is that Did you do that line yet, Nick? Uh, she's entered on Sunday. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to do that tonight. It'll be final tomorrow. Yeah. So like, you know, I mean, you know, I, I think that between her and big invasion, this breeders cup sprint's going to really hit them between the eyes. Right. I think her going five and going, you know, being able to kind of just let it wing with a little bit of stamina that she has on firm ground when she was, you know, you watch her race in the Troy, she was bobbling all over the place. I, I mean, I look, I'm really excited about this race. I think one of those two is your winner. And uh, like I said, I've, I've been a, a huge fan of Big Invasion for a long time. So I'm not overly concerned with exactly what happened um, on Sunday in terms of figure-wise because I know what he's capable of, and I know that he's going to like the situation he's going to get uh, come, I don't know, I guess the last race on Breeders' Cup? Well, they, they have reserved the right now. This was an interesting conversation. Actually, we had it. Steve Bick and I had it on air via text with Tim Schramm. They're definitely committed to having both the pick six and the BCBC go through the last Breeders' Cup race. But the official final order of the Breeders' Cup races will not be released for another two weeks. So they're sort of reserving the right to um, to, to mix it around a little bit. But that is interesting. I mean, J.K. puts forth a very logical argument about the Breeders' Cup turf sprint maybe being a little bit more formful than a lot of us were expecting. Nick, can you spoil the party and, and say something negative about Big Invasion as opposed to the JK and my uh, love fest here? No, I'm, I'm a Big Invasion fan and, ha- and have been, quite honestly. Um, I thought he ran extremely well in the Jiper. I thought he took a rather ill-advised trip overseas for the 
the Jubilee in, uh, at Royal Ascot, but um, I thought his Harvey Pack was good. And I'll tell you what I actually, what I was encouraged by, and I know it was a race that on pace figures came back somewhat slow, but he was much more forward. And so, you know, the good big invasion last year was not this big, deep, plotting one-run closer that we kind of saw in the uh, the turf sprint at Churchill and a little bit in the Jiper, in part because those were faster-paced races. And, and you know, going 5 eighths. if Joel, assuming Joel is going to get back on him, I still think that even with his difficult years Joel is having, he's the best turf sprint rider out there. If he's able to get him into a comfortable spot, you know, three or four lengths out, I think he can really make noise from there. The problem with this, or the, the reason why I think people are going to be dismissive of him in this race is that going 5 eighths, we've really seen speed dominate, especially at Santa Anita. We've seen one Breeders' Cup turf sprint at uh, Five Ace in Santa Anita was obviously wired by Belvoir Bay in the 2021 edition at Five Ace at Del Mar was wired as well by Golden Pal. So we're not going to get that kind of speed this time around though, right? And so if you use Odds Checker, Highfield Princess is five to one as of right now. They've not updated this. They've got Big Invasion at 25 to one. So, I mean, there are a lot of horses that they have between Highfield Princess at five and Big Invasion at 25. They got Caravelle at 12. Living the Dream, who ran a good second in the, uh, in the Woodford on Saturday, um, is listed at 10. No balls is listed at 14. You know, he's a horse who obviously would inject some pace into there. So this is going to be a very interesting race. If we want to make a bet within this, I'm going to bet that this is the last race of the Breeders' Cup because this is going to have a 12-horse field. I don't know if the sprint will. It might. Um, but I'm guessing that this is a race that's going to have a pretty high, pretty, pretty long-priced favorite. And so it, it seems like a really good spot to end the, the sequence. And that was what was originally mentioned. So we'll we'll see. That could easily happen. One story quickly about Big Invasion at Ascot, which we don't really have time for this tangent, but it's too funny, so I have to tell it. I can't remember if I've told it to either of you guys off air, but I happened to have a conversation with uh, with Dean Reeves at Ascot where he explained how um, Big Invasion ended up there, and, and basically he told uh, he told trainer Christoph Clamont, "We're going." To ask it, the horse will be at ask it. You can come or not. <laughs> so that, is the, that was the ultimate owner picked spot in terms of uh, in, in terms of how it maybe sticks out a little bit like a like a sore thumb on the PPs. Let's do this is so tough. I want to talk about all these races. We don't have time. I'm going to start picking and choosing, and then I'll throw some open questions to you guys to get some other performances in there. But we certainly have to talk about the Judd Mont Spinster Grade One action with Idiomatic backing up that last win with another one. 99 was the figure earned in this one, um, and she just you know put it into put it into cruise control and and rocked and rolled all the way home. Nest disappointing uh, back in fourth at odds on in this spot, but they bet the snot out of both of these horses. Nick, we'll let you go first. Is, is idiomatic now deserving of the, the, the position of favorite for the, for the distaff? Yes. Uh, short answer. Absolutely. She is now going to be a pretty solid favorite in the distaff. Um, I would imagine probably in the two to one or five to two range, barring something unforeseen and some participation that we can't quite envision at the moment. But uh, this was this was a passing of the baton officially. I kind of felt like it happened at Saratoga, but um, Idiomatic is a horse that's gotten significantly better as a uh, as a four year old this year, and she carries the greatest weapon in dirt route racing, which is speed and the ability to to ration out that speed. She also has the best front end rider in the game, in my opinion, and um, and that's really what's ultimately doing it for her. So. Um, 
She is talented. She's in a great barn. Um, she will face a different pace scenario in the distaff because she has kind of gotten away. I don't want to say she's gotten away with murder, but she's gotten away with some pretty easy leads in her last two starts. And, uh, and I don't think that'll happen this time around. You know, what do you do with Ness now? Uh, she'd be headed to the breeding shed more than likely. I think they might try one more, maybe hope they get into a situation where idiomatic is forced along a little bit more early. The problem with Nest for me in her last two starts is that she's never really made a run, right? She didn't get by secret oath for second at Saratoga. You want to chalk it up to the, to the wet track. Okay. Um, she didn't really make a run on Sunday. There, there was really no point at which she traveled comfortably at all. I know there was a little discussion afterwards about wanting her to be more forwardly placed and, and this and that. And I, I get it. I hear you, but uh, it, it just, nothing happened for me that really makes you feel like, okay, I can say if this is different then she could potentially run better. And the thing is, if she ends up going, you're going to have two horses in that scenario, both she and Clarier, one of whom is coming off a layoff, one of whom is coming back a little bit quickly, but they're both coming in off poor efforts. So that's going to muddy the waters even a little bit more. I think this is going to be a situation where the horse will just tell them. Um, and I think they'll, 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 I would imagine the default attitude would be why not run. Um, and I think if they just see some, some positive signs from her, she could go. And, and it's, it's the kind of horse I got to be honest to, to, to call me, call me a cynic, but that can be a very good shot to take, a, to take against horses when they're, when they're in races for, you know, last race, why not? Or probably don't have the best ROI. Uh, in, in, in history when it comes to horse racing. JK, how about you? How, uh, you know, you and I have this bet where I'm on the idiomatic side, essentially, and you're on the, the, the Nest Clarier side. What, uh, are, you, are you still feeling good about your position in that, or are you, uh, are, are, are you scared of idiomatic at this point? Well, I, mean, I feel good about the position because of Clarier. Nest is just, man, I, 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 she's, she's one of the most puzzling horses for me in a long time. She was so good as a three-year-old. She came back so well as a four-year-old. And then she's a completely tailed off in her last two efforts. Like Nick said, it's not like she just got beat. She like literally didn't pick up her feet, um, no which is concerning. Um, you know, I think for me, if I, I mean, they're obviously going to, I mean, I heard Mike Rapoli in the same interview where he said that up to the mark is going to run, um, is going to run in the, in the, in the, in the, in the turf, excuse me. You know, he basically said that Ness is going to persevere as well. So, I mean, obviously, we'll see how she trains. I'm sure Todd Pletcher can have a say in that uh, before it's all said and done. But to me, if she runs, she's going to be aggressively handled this time around. Like, I feel like that they're not going to do this thing where they kind of let her fall back out of the race and try to make a run because she unsuccessfully hasn't done that in the last two starts. I think she's going to put herself into the race, and I think it sets up really nicely for Clarier. So to answer your question, I think it sets – I still feel okay because I think Idiomatic might get pressured by Nest. I think Clarier could be coming into the race well, but like Nick said, Idiomatic does possess that weapon that is very, very dangerous in dirt racing. We got we got the gist of that from JK there. Oh, actually, I forgot. We're on Zencaster, so that'll upload perfectly. I got the gist of it. You'll have heard the whole thing perfectly, audience. While we're talking distaff, let's talk randomized for a minute. 98 by our speed figure uh, to win the Bell Dame. And, you know, figure-wise, that's one point. Um, one point short of what uh, what idiomatic ran. What what of this one's chances, Nick? Are you how are you feeling about randomized heading into uh, the distaff? Well, so I mean, it's kind of funny, and I know I sound like a killjoy in a wet blanket when it comes to stuff like this. So, if I take you back to a year ago, a horse won the Bell Dame against a pretty weak field um, that included a couple of graded stakes caliber horses in a way. 
And that horse was then suddenly anointed and made a pretty substantial favorite in the, um, in the Breeders' Cup Distaff. And that horse got a 101 buyer speed figure in that race. Randomized got a 98, beat a grade one winner from earlier this year, and is probably going to go off the third or fourth choice. And of course, I'm comparing her to Nest from a year ago. Now, Randomized's resume does not quite match Nest's. Nest had another grade one in addition to her. But uh, Randomized has, has turned into a really nice horse. The other weapon that she has, again, is a great deal of speed. So there's something to be said for that. It's almost like Randomized sort of feels like that junior that you have on your on your high school football team where you're like, man, this this one's good, but wait until next year. And Randomized is going to be a – she'll be a terrorist in this division next year because you imagine that being a, a, as decorated as she is, I can't imagine we'll see idiomatic next year. Obviously, Nest is gone. The balance of the three-year-old division has really thinned out quite a bit. So it gives Chad Brown a good one-two punch in the distaff of Randomized and search results. Search results probably doesn't really want to go a mile and an eighth when push comes to shove, but randomized is supposed to make Idiomatic's job harder, and she has really blossomed into a very nice filly in her last few starts. So I thought it was a it was a solid performance. It was about what you'd expect, and um, I'm, I'm intrigued by what she'll end up doing next year as a four year old. And I think at the very least she'll make her presence known in California. From a figure point of view, and I'll ask this to to Jonathan: when you see that 98 so easily earned. I can argue it either way. I can either say ideal conditions and the figure's only a 98, or I can look back at this and I can say, you know what, when you go when they go that slow early, there's only so fast they can go late. Maybe that 98 could get faster. So I'm, I'm not sure. I definitely agree with Nick, 100% pace factor, 100% interesting for next year, but I'm a little bit on the fence of if I think she can maybe be more than just a pace factor when it comes to this staff. We're, we're, what do you think on that question, and what do you think of randomized? Well, the key word you breezed over was comfortably, right? Like she did that. She did the early part of that race. She wasn't going fast. She did it comfortably, though. She didn't have another horse in her and, and looking her in the eyes. And, and I think that that's definitely not going to be the case um, in the Breeders' Cup. Like, you know, it's it's Brad Cox is one of those ride is one of those trainers. Florent is one of those riders that they don't take speed away from a speed horse. Idiomatic will be on the front end. And if you're in front of her, you're going too fast. So I, I, I can't see a situation in which randomized gets the comfortable trip, um, I, I, you know, unless they decide to ride her differently, which is possible. But, you know, why would you do that when she's been wiring fields and grade one races? Right. I, I think I think that's fair. So you so you're not you're not overly convinced. Is that what you're telling me? You think getting I, looked at the eye, you could see a totally different horse? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that if we're talking about the 2023 Breeders' Cup distaff, uh, and she's kind of the fade to me. If we're talking about the 2024 Breeders' Cup this staff, you know, maybe I'd cut in line for a nice price. <laughs> I mean, I, I'll just I'll just say one thing too about I think I think those two in general um, is that I think a lot of it really will come down to the draw. I know the draw at at a mile and an eighth on dirt is not really a terribly big deal usually, but I, I think if you know if it idiomatic draws the inside draws inside of randomized, they're obviously going to go and they're going to put randomized on the chase. And I think vice versa, if it's the other way around, I, I think if, if randomized draws inside, um, you're going to have a situation where idiomatic is stalking her on the outside. Idiomatic was victorious in the Delaware handicap sitting just off the pace. So, I mean, she is capable of rating if you want to, if you want to at least take that into consideration, she did break poorly that day. And that's part of the reason why she did from a, 
pace figure perspective, randomized is faster early. Now that also in many cases boils down to rider intent. I've, I've, I've died on the hill of, oh, this horse was supposed to be faster because of their pace figures. Um, in fact, the pace figures that idiomatic ran on Sunday in the spinster actually compare very favorably to the pace figures that randomized ran in the Alabama. They're a little bit slower, but not by much. So it, it ends up being a really fascinating battle. And I think the tactics used by the respective riders will, will be interesting. The other factor that you have as far as the distaff goes, and I know we don't want to get too in the weeds on this right now, but I mean, Adair Manor is not slow I, I, early. I don't think she's a horse that um, that is quite at this level, but she has a home field advantage. She obviously has Bob Baffert in her corner, and uh, and she's a filly who's not going to let them get away with anything on the front end either. So, I mean, it's just it's shaping up as what looks to be a very honest race. And this is a division because the majority of the races have small fields are generally not run at in a particularly honest fashion, if you will. And I think both of these fillies are going to face things that are that are a little different than what they have in the past. We're going to have so much coverage. You know, I feel bad. We're, we're going to have to skip over some things on this show. But we've got so much coverage between now and the Breeders' Cup. Nick and Jake are both going to be key parts of it. Um, best thing to do. You know, we also, I should have plugged this. We have some YouTube-only content now as well. So you're going to want to go to the In The Money Media YouTube channel and get uh, subscribed on there. Give us thumbs up. Sign up for notifications. Do all those things you can do to help channels. Also, our free newsletter is a great place in the moneypodcast.com slash email to get updates on everything, including our uh, our plus service, which is the best way to make sure you get all the content. So we've got about 10 minutes and about six races left to talk about. So we'll, we'll semi speed round and we're going to focus on the grade ones on Saturday. And then maybe I'll open it up at the end. If we have time for a bonus question of any of the other runners we want to talk about, if we don't get to them here, you know, there's going to be plenty of opportunities uh, elsewhere on the, in the money media coverage, but let's go right to up the mark. And that big news uh, from, uh, from Mike Rapoli that uh, it will not be the breeders cup mile, the target, but the breeders cup turf. This was a, a really great stretch battle. I watched it half a dozen times just because it was, it was so exciting. I needed up to the mark to come out on top in that photo. That probably didn't hurt my rewatches of it. The one thing I'll say about this race and JK, I'll, I'll ask you if you have any concerns about this. It, this sounds funny maybe, but visually I thought it might come back a little bit faster than the actual buyer came back, which was just a hundred, which would leave uh, up to the mark in either race, turf or mile, probably on the outside looking in, in terms of the top euros that were, that were coming over. I was half expecting to look down and see it as a, as a, a one Oh five. Does that concern you at all? Tell me, you know, I know you've been a long time up to the mark fan. Give us your, give us your reasons. You think he might be a Breeders' Cup turf winner? Yeah, I just think he could take a step forward, right? I think it's, you know, his first time uh, going a mile and a half, you know, who, who knows if he's going to like that. But if Todd Pletcher thinks he will, then I'll go ahead and side with the fact that Todd Pletcher's probably right. Um, and, and also, you got to think, I mean, look, he's supposed to take a step forward off of that effort. Uh, you know, he, he missed all of that time since Belmont. Uh, you, you didn't run at Saratoga. Um, you know, I, I look I, in, in full disclosure, I reached out to Todd before and I said, you know, do you like up to the mark today or do you think he's going to need one? He said he should run well, but he's pre- but I, I wouldn't be surprised if this is a this is a race he needs. You know, so there's so there's there's a, there's so you, you need a couple of points extra there, maybe a couple of points because he likes the mile and a half. And suddenly there's your 104, your 105. 
Yeah, that's a that's a quite a reasonable case there. I should also point out on Timeform US, the race came back much more like I thought it quote unquote looked with a one twenty seven and a, a final time uh, Timeform figure, which would adjust to that yeah one oh seven or so. So and and here's a man who uh, knows a thing or two about uh, speed figures. Nick Tamro, what what I don't know if you've looked at this specifically, but what's your general uh, stance? Weigh in on this topic of if up to the mark is is fast enough, you think, to win a race like the Breeders' Cup turf? I mean, I think the question is like, how can I fully assess how fast horses like August Rodin and and you know uh, Emily Upjohn and and horses like that that might be coming over? Our Sharyar, I think, is coming from Japan. Um, all I'll say is that. Based on the way he performed on Saturday, if I was making the decision, he'd run in the mile. So I, I don't envision this horse getting particularly better at a mile and a half. Now, I understand this is a mile and a half that really plays like a mile and seven sixteenths because they do run a big portion of the first half of it downhill. The, the thing about Saturday's race is that, I mean, he got it. He got it the way he needed it to. He got a great ride from Jose Ortiz. He got a big pace to run at that completely collapsed. And I mean, the one, two, three finishers came from seventh, eighth, and ninth, and and actually, uh, you know, wasn't something I expected. I didn't think there was there was that much speed on paper at all. But um, it's a great training job by Todd Pletcher, no doubt about it. And this is a horse that's been very, very talented, um, and obviously continues to move forward, which is is just great to see, especially nowadays. So uh, it'll be interesting to see where he stacks up. I mean, I think based on final European involvement, we can make a more accurate assessment then. I know, yeah. again, this race looked like it was going to be tougher last week, but now it'll uh, we'll see. Yeah, I still think it's going to be pretty tough. I mean, Westover not turning up is definitely, uh, you know, that would have been some star power. For well, who sure. is the third horse from the arc that's coming, Pete? What is that horse's name? Oh, come on, Brain. Let me see if I can. I'll, that, I'll... That, horse is, that horse is coming. And, I mean, see, to me, Westover was the interesting horse from the arc because he was close to the pace the whole time and everybody else kind of kind of – came from way off of it, but the third horse ran really well. Sharyar is supposedly coming as well. Now his form is not good this year, but I mean, he's a horse who, who won the Shima classic over Yabir in 2022. And then in 2023, and he also finished second in the Japan cup. So, I mean, he's a very, very good horse. And I mean, I got to tell you, these Japanese horses, they scare me to death. Oh yeah, I mean, I'm going to be very, very careful about about getting rid of any of them. I, I the the Marshall Lorraine and Loves Only You wins in 2021 only bolster that. Yeah, through seven seas ran a pretty darn good race in the arc, and uh, you know I don't think Equinox is going to come, but there were rumors about that. Is it Ernesto who you were thinking of? I think I heard some chat about him coming over. I think um, that's I think that's it. Yep, yeah, I think that's it. Yeah, yeah, he's listed on Odds Checker. And Bay Bridge to me would be very interesting. Because I, I think it was probably uh, uh, I don't know maybe they think he needs maybe they think he needs some more cut in the ground but he's just a horse I've always liked. Well, we're gonna have so much more info on this stuff. Uh, we'll wait to get into all the brass tacks of it until we have a little bit more info. Let's pivot though to a very interesting question. Gina Romantica wins the first lady. Buyer looks like they you did didn't split the races right because uh, that. The considerably faster final time translated to the 105 buyer, but interestingly, on time form, um, they must have split it because Gina Romantica's figure is not as fast as the up to the mark, uh, as the up to the mark figure, which you know I always think is interesting when they do that. They're clearly making it more of a more of a seems like they're making it more of a form figure on time form and more of a speed figure on buyer. In those instances, I usually lean to the speed figure as the one that has more signal 
than the form figure. How do you evaluate that, Nick? And, and I mean, boy, on the 105, Gino Romantica certainly might uh, uh, be interesting, whichever race they end up going in. I don't know if they're talking mile or, or Philly and Mare I mean, you know, it's, this is one of those, Pete, where any way you slice it, this thing was fast. I mean, they, they went, they went early, they went late. Um, uh, The surprising thing to me is that in Italian used her best weapon and didn't, it wasn't enough to really bury everybody, which is kind of what you expected. Um, It did take a toll on white beam, obviously, but you know, you, you kind of hoped that, that in Italian would strut her stuff on the front end, like she's done. She went one forties basically early in terms of pace figures and, and Gina Romantica just outfinished her. Is Gina Romantica like some kind of Keeneland wonderkind maybe? Uh, she's just, she's run so much better in her two races at Keeneland than she's run anywhere else. So I can't quite figure it out. I mean, I do, I am always weary of the late season Chad Brown improved horses because we saw him do this with Stephanie's kitten. Um, we saw him do it to an extent with Day at the Spa, horses that he's had run well as their campaigns have gone on. And maybe Gina Romantica is a horse that he's just kind of unlocking now. But I can guarantee you that Gina Romantica was not the one who showed up at Monmouth in June or Colonial in, in August. And if that horse shows up in the Breeders' Cup, then she's got a real chance. I know this was a mile, but I don't think a mile and a quarter is a problem for her the way she ran in the QE2 Um so yeah, it was it was it was fast. I mean, I was I was very impressed, and I thought she beat an Italian on the square. And the difference between this and some of the races prior, including the Diana, is that I think an Italian ran her race, and she just got beat. I tend to agree. J.K. really fast on the on the first lady, and then we'll we'll speed round through a couple more before we have to get out of here. I mean, Nick said it best. I mean, day at the spa. I mean, I I think that like that's what we're gonna see from an Italian. Um, I think she's gonna appreciate the firm ground. I think she's gonna going to roll around there. I think the mile and a quarter is going to make her weapon even more dangerous to kind of be able to cruise along on the front end and and maybe hopefully suck along some horses with her uh, to take some starch out of them going a mile and a quarter. Uh, I I still think, you know, pending what what the Europeans bring, that she really does offer some legitimate chance in in the Breeders' Cup affiliate meritory. What if Gina Romantica, though? Are you taking her seriously as a potential uh, thwarter to an Italian going forward? Uh, I mean, sure. I mean, she ran her down last time, but I think, like, to Nick's point, I think Keeneland um, and the way that race was run at that flat mile was probably more in favor of Gina Romantica. And I think the mile and a quarter on firm ground, the circumstances might flip to who's going to, who's, who's more uh, in a more advantageous spot. I think it'll be uh, in Italian. Let's talk about the grade ones for two year olds on Saturday. The Breeders' Futurity won by Locked with an 87, and Timberlake winning the Champagne with a 93. Anything that particularly surprised you in either of these races? Which one would you be more interested in, J.K., going forward? What did you say Locke's fig- lock figure was? 87. Oof. I mean, visually, in the way he did it, what Locke did was very impressive. But that, I mean, how are you going to single a horse that ran an 87 in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile? Um, you know, I, I, look, I, I, look I, he had some adversity there. But based on that number and based on what, 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 uh, what I know, I, I'm, I'm a Timberlake guy. Um, I'm can't, I still can't believe that he lost to that to that uh, peanut butter horse or whatever the Nutella fella. Um, <laughs> that, that that's crazy to me. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm a Timberlake guy moving forward. I know it was earned on a sloppy racetrack, but I, I think he's the best two year old that uh, from the East Coast. And we'll see with Prince of Monaco. If anyone other than Baffert trained, I would be concerned about the break. But you know, I think those are the two horses for me. Locked is going to be overbet off of that speed figure. 
Muth, we should bring into the conversation too. The American Pharaoh winner scored with a 91 buyer speed figure at a very short price, two to five. We'll, we'll expand the conversation to those three for you, Nick. Which one are you most interested in in the juvenile? And feel free to piggyback a thought or two on these races. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm inclined to say that I of those three, I like Timberlake the best. Um, I, I briefly, I, I had a very quick conversation with my wife about if I were to call a horse named Timberlake and he was winning in the fashion that he did, what I would say. And so we kicked around like "bye bye bye" or "cry me a river" or my ultimate uh, my ultimate decision was bring in sexy back. So. <laughs> yes. um, yeah. Uh, so anyway, he was the, he's he, he looked great. The thing that I liked about his performance was that you know there's a period of time around the turn where General Partner looked like he might be able to bottom this field out, and Florent moved his hands on Timberlake, and the response was instantaneous. I mean, he moved immediately. This is a horse with a ton of speed, but also push button acceleration. I trust Brad Cox quite a bit to bring a horse out west and do well. I'd say him. Um, but this right now, this four-headed monster of Moose, Prince of Monaco, Locked and Timberlake. I mean, fingers crossed these horses stay healthy and stay in one piece. This is not only going to be a good juvenile, but we're off to a hell of a start on the Derby Trail for next year because these horses are fast and they're consistent. And and we didn't even get a, a good performance from Fierceness, who looked like he was fast as well. Maybe he'll regroup and, and be around next year. But this looks like a fun bunch already. I would agree with that completely. Joe Hirsch, Turf Classic. It took him a few times to get this race uh, run. Eventually they did. And Warlike Goddess, 105 buyer speed figure. JK, which race would you point her to at the Breeders' Cup? And, and what do you think of her? Uh, what do you think of her chances? Oh, I mean, I would definitely run her in the mile and a half race because I think that what she's she, the problem with her is is that she's I think she's kind of a knucklehead. And I think she's tough to ride. And I think that if you give her an inch, she'll take a mile. And I think that in a shorter run race, I think that's, I think that might be harder for her. And I think maybe in a mile and a half, I don't know. She's a tricky animal, but I'm going to always try to beat her because she's such a tricky animal. And there'll be times where she stuffs me in a locker like she did on Saturday. But I think just because of her inconsistency and how she needs things to go her way against a good field, I'm going to always try to beat her. All right, guys, we are out of time. I will do what I said, though. Is there one more horse you want to highlight from any of the other preps before we officially uh, close the show here? Nick, we'll, we'll start with you. Um, oof, can't think of anything off the top. Well, I, I mean, I, I mean, it was not a particularly fast race, but I did think that just FYI ran well in the uh, – in the Frisette, I, I wish he had gone a little, I wish the figure was better, but I, I, that race was also run in the thick of the thunderstorm. So maybe the track was a little bit soupier than it, it was a little bit later when Timberlake kind of skipped over it, but that was a slow paced race. I thought just FYI finished pretty powerfully. I really, I wish ways and means had stayed healthy because she would have won that race for fun. Um, but you know, it, she's probably would be one. The juvenile Phillies looks like it'll be a grab bag like it often is. So that that kind of I think would be the only horse that I would would uh, would take a uh, make a comment on. I felt pretty good about my Tamara two to one and higher bet after watching the two year old Philly preps this weekend, as I'm sure you understand, Nick. Yes, you really should. I mean, she should. I guess I should say grab bag. I'm such an idiot. Yeah, Tamara is like going to be four to five now, um, especially because the so some of the fillies that she beat, like a drum, came back and and at least performed okay. Chavalis ran well enough to to wire. She got away with murder on the front end, but um, 
Yeah, we've got to talk about some of these overseas odds offline, Pete, because there are some there are some prices in here that are a little bit too high. All right, well, we'll get that taken care of, and of course, once we get that, we'll share it with everybody else. No, I'm kidding. We'll we'll, we'll have that conversation <laughs> for the world uh, sooner rather than later. J.K., you one more horse to throw out before we wrap things up here. Yeah, a little bit for the home team here, but uh, was really proud of amidst waves for George Weaver and Swinbank Stables and, and Black Type Thoroughbreds and. And, uh, you know, I thought she was unlucky to get beat there. And, and, and I think she'll be uh, – I think she'll appreciate getting to, to some firm ground. At Saratoga, I thought I saw her bobbling in the stretch on soft ground. And on the backside at Keeneland, I felt like I saw her bobbling a little bit on ground that will be softer than she'll get out in California. Maybe she'll appreciate that firm ground out there. But, uh, like I said, kind of a homer pick. But uh, I thought she ran really well at Keeneland on Sunday. That's all right. Uh, obviously, uh, Maddie and Jake are pals, and they've been supporters of this show since our very first season. So they, they deserve all the love they get. All right, boys. Very enjoyable. Gosh, we could have done an hour and 42 minutes today, but I know you guys have stuff to do. So we will leave it there, and we'll be talking soon. Thanks, Pete. Good luck. Very excited to be partnered with Naira for the rest of 2023, where we're going to be featuring Saturday coverage each week on the Players Podcast, as well as daily write-ups and analysis at inthemoneypodcast.com. You can go to the Naira.com website. You can actually find us there under Picks, Plays, and Promotions, but you can also find information about other promotions they have going on, uh, handicapping contests, etc., Lastly, make sure you do not miss the America's Day at the Races coverage across the Fox family of networks. Lots of cross-pollination between In the Money and uh, Fox with shows on this network by uh, Maggie Wolfendale and Acacia Courtney and, of course, uh, JK as well. If you want to see them do their thing, check out the full schedule of coverage at InTheMoneyPodcast.com slash TV. Before we get out of here, got to do our Adelphi performance of the week. was tempted to go with Big Invasion, we talked about earlier on the show up north because of the connection with Adelphi Racing and Christoph Clement calling the shots there as the trainer. But we got to go with an Adelphi Racing runner, and I'm talking about Royal Poppy, who was very, very game in victory and earned a career-best 90 buyer speed figure at Belmont at Aqueduct. Maybe moved up a little bit in the slot, but I also think this is a three-year-old filly late in the year who's just getting really good for Ray Handel, Dylan Davis, did the steering the other day and she's got the kind of running style and the kind of talent where I think Delphi is going to be able to really have a lot of fun with her going forward. Very, very cool stuff from Royal Poppy getting the job done in that first level allowance career mark. Now two from 10, that was your Delphi racing club performance of the week by Royal Poppy, a Philly with a future. Great stuff there. You'll hear a little bit more about Adelphi Racing later in the show. So stick around to hear how you can get involved. That's going to do it for this edition of the show. I'd like to thank uh, JK and Nick in particular, as well as all of our partners and sponsors. Let's thank our founding partners while we're at it, 10 Strike Racing. I thought a lot about the 10 Strike crew this weekend down in Baltimore with the family, visiting a lot of spots we go to for Preakness weekend. Uh, thought thought a lot about uh, Clay and uh, and Marshall and the rest of the team. Always a pleasure to get to hang with them. Looking forward to doing it again soon. And you know, around here, we always like to root for the purple and black. TRF, you've heard me give this spiel a whole lot. I'm a huge fan of the work they do helping horses and helping humans through the Second Chances program that I've had an opportunity to visit uh, just as recently as a couple of weeks ago. And it's amazing to see the transformative effect that these horses can have 
on these men's lives, really turning things around and making a big difference. You can make a big difference by supporting their mission, trfinc.org slash players. And if you donate now, not only is there a matching plan going on for the Hayride, but we've still got some bottles of whiskey to give as a gift to you with a $200 donation that will play like a $400 donation. In other words, what a great time to give to the TRF, trfinc.org slash players. This show has been a production of In The Money Media. I'm Peter Thomas Fornital. May you win all your photos. One more reminder about the great experience I've had as an owner with Adelphi Racing Club. It's been a terrific year so far, led by Adelphi's graded stakes place, New York, Bread, Philly, Funny How, and more good stuff is looking to come down the pike before the year is over. There's never been a better time to become an Adelphi partner. If you're looking for a collaborative horse ownership experience that offers a fiscally sustainable approach to horse ownership, Adelphi Racing is the right fit for you. And you are going to learn so much about horse racing throughout the process. Contact us today to get a taste of the Adelphi experience can check out the website adelphiracing.com or reach out directly to matt kater matt at adelphiracing.com can also follow along on social on insta at adelphi underscore racing and on x at adelphi club